0: Everybody, it's the day after christmas the saddest day of the year welcome to the david glenn show and i have the christmas blues the post christmas blues by the way scott hamilton sitting in for dg and that's one reason i have the post christmas blues dg not in the house i'm here i'm captaining captaining this ship trying to not drive it into a ditch hopefully i'll be able to keep it upright until dg returns next week And and now that I think about it, now that I think about it, not only will I be the last host of the David Glenn Show for 2019, I'm here today, tomorrow, and Monday, and I assume, I presume, there's a best-of show on New Year's Eve. But, man, I guess I'm the last host for the decade. So when we do a best and worst of the decade, well, they might throw me on that list. Either way, I'm a little scared. Speaking of best and worst, I've I've seen the best of, I've seen the worst of the Panthers over this past decade. I've seen stuff, man. As my time as a columnist in Winston-Salem and in various other roles, I saw the Super Bowl run of 2015. I saw the Super Bowl run before that. I even made a trip. I made a trip to Seattle one time on about 36 hours notice to watch them play the Seahawks in the NFC Championship game. I do believe that was 2006. So I've seen the best of the Panthers and I've seen the worst of the Panthers. I've seen a lot of stuff, man. I've seen Cam flip his truck. I was there through that Greg Hardy fiasco, that miserable person. The Mr. Richardson things. And of course, everything going on now. And I'm getting to the point that They might be about to hire a coach, maybe, could, possibly. Hmm? They've interviewed somebody. They interviewed Mike McCarthy. That's the report we're getting. Mike McCarthy, former head coach of the Green Bay Packers, has interviewed to be the next H.C. in Charlotte. David Tepper headed a game. That's one reason he let Riverboat Ron Rivera get loose early. And I'm not saying Riverboat Ron Rivera escaped, but he did get loose because this ship be sinking. Riverboat Ron Rivera has a bright future. He will coach again in the NFL. He now has an opportunity to let people know he is available and other teams can start thinking about it. And likewise for the Panthers, they can go out and interview coaches who are on, I guess, the unemployment line. That being Mike McCarthy. Reports are that he interviewed with the team shortly after the loss to Indianapolis last weekend. And that loss, that was number seven in a row these Carolina Panthers have not won a game since November 3rd. They beat the Titans 30-20 to 20 at Bank of America Stadium. And this team, this team is bad. It's not good. It's not good. Oh, by the way, Darren Vaught, also doing Darren Vaught things today. I've got Charles, Charles Hadley, behind the glass. Charles, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Way to get excited. You've got those post holiday blues as well, but we'll work through that today. Back to the topic. They've interviewed Mike McCarthy to be the head coach, and he was fired near the end of last season as the longtime coach at Green Bay. He was there for 13 years 125, 77, and two, two ties. That is shocking. Not only did he have a tie in 13 years, he had two ties. He wrangled two unicorns. Well done, Mike McCarthy, for pulling that off. He went 10-8 in the playoffs, and he had a Super Bowl title, Super Bowl forty-five after the 2010 season. Beat the Steelers. But 11-18 over his last two seasons, criticized for having an offense that was not evolving, as other offenses in the NFL have done, veering more towards a spread system. And he reportedly had a rift, had a beef, had some kind of deal, with franchise quarterback Aaron Rodgers. That led to his ouster near the end of last season. But, but here's why what would otherwise seem to be a terrible fit might make perfect sense for the Panthers. Mike McCarthy is 56. He's not young, but he's not old by coaching standards by any means. So that's a positive. And he's also been doing something called the McCarthy Project. Now, check this out. The McCarthy Project is basically Mike McCarthy and some other longtime coaches getting together regularly, like weekly or if not even more often, and they're collaborating as if they are the league's 33rd coaching staff. They're breaking down film. They're studying things, playbooks. They're practicing schedule practices. And they're going over analytics, and that's what David Tepper, the billionaire owner of the Carolina Panthers, has said he wants. He wants an analytics-minded coach to be the one running his organization, the organization he paid $2.275 billion for. Mike McCarthy, two years ago, wouldn't have been that guy, but he has spent this year off evolving. And also keep this in mind. We're in a year where there aren't really that many hot coordinators out there. Yeah, Roman's doing a good job in Baltimore, and there's a couple of others, but it's not like in previous years where you've had that hot shot DC or that hot shot OC that you just knew was going to be the next head coach of this or that. Also keep in mind some of the rookie head coaches – they're having growing pains. They're struggling into their new jobs, into their first go-arounds as a head coach. That means that former head coaches, guys who have experience at the top of the food chain, they're going to be more in demand in 2020. Mike McCarthy would seem to fill that bill. And he's evolving into the whole analytics thing, which will get David Tepper's attention. Tepper wanted an advantage. He wanted an advantage. He wanted to get a jump on things. He got that by letting Riverboat Ron Rivera go when he did. And they'll continue to coach or rather conduct a thorough search. David Tepper doesn't get to where he is, the richest owner in the NFL, without doing his due diligence by skipping steps. No, they'll interview other people. Perry Fuel, the interim head coach of the Carolina Panthers, he's been invited to interview as well. So they're going to vet all possible options. But this deal, this deal with McCarthy seems almost too perfect. And they've got a Pittsburgh connection. They're both from Pittsburgh. McCarthy's from Pittsburgh. Tepper's from Pittsburgh. I mean, it's not going to get him the job, but it's not going to hurt either. And then this whole analytics thing, that's right up David Tepper's alley. But there's going to be more involved to fix the team than bringing in the right coach. Make no mistake about it, this, this team has issues. This team has major problems, holes, gaping holes. And I don't know if there's simple solutions for one, two, or even three of those problems. First of all, everything involving the Carolina Panthers will begin and end with the quarterback position and begin and end with the health of Cam Newton. They have some decisions to make, and people have talked about it ad nauseum for months. What's going to happen? What are they going to do? Well, we don't know. We don't know because there are so many variables here, and it's not just the surgically repaired foot of Cam Newton that is to be considered. He has a very unique contract situation. Last year, of his contract's coming up. 19 million bucks. I'd take $19 million, but a healthy Cam Newton can demand about $30 million. If he's healthy and they keep him, will they pay him that $30 million going forward? That's something to consider. Now, money is no issue for David Tepper. He buys soccer teams, for goodness sakes. But they let Cam Newton go, trade him, whatever, go in a different direction, that's 19 million dollars saved against a salary cap two million of that goes to dead cap money is there another quarterback on the roster though <laughs> I don't think so I mean maybe maybe technically there's a guy that has QB next to his name but is the future quarterback of the Carolina Panthers on that roster I I don't think so So you have to consider that as well. There's so many variables here. And and remember, a healthy Cam Newton at $19 million, that might be the biggest bargain in the NFL. It's a tremendous bargain. But you also ask yourself this, how different would Carolina's record be today? Today, December 26th, day after Christmas, if Cam Newton doesn't get hurt. I'll make the argument that not that much better. 5-10, and yeah. Maybe two more wins, possibly. But there's so many other areas they have to fix on this team. Offensive line is horrible, man. Horrible. Poor Kyle Allen. The last six games that Kyle Allen started, he was sacked 25 times. Will Greer, bless his little heart, sacked five times in his NFL debut. Has yet to throw a touchdown, by the way. 27-44 against the Colts, 224. Three picks, but he's starting this weekend. Regular season finale at home against the Saints. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff. Saints, 13-point favorites right now. <laughs> road favorites. That, that's, that speaks volumes right there. That pretty much sums it up. The Saints are 13-point road favorites. That tells you everything you need to know about the Panthers right there. Offensive line's bad. The defense is bad. They've made this shift to a 3-4. Don't have the personnel for it, I don't believe, even when healthy. They're giving up 5.3 yards a carry. That is egregious. There's questions at wide receiver. DJ Moore has developed very nicely, but after that, you still kind of wonder how they're going to use these other guys. I like what Scott Turner's doing with Curtis Samuel getting him involved a little more in the backfield, but he's got a lot of Ted Ginn in him, a lot of 50 50 in him out of the wideout position. What's going to happen with Greg Olson going forward? Nobody knows. He's back from the concussion protocol, but could this be his last year? Maybe. He's as frustrated as anybody else. Special teams, bad. Joey Sly has done well from 50 yards or further, but he had a couple of bad games that. Mm, It's hard to to get rid of that when you're a kicker. It's hard to shed that baggage when you're a kicker. That one or two-game stretch where you were just terrible, where you didn't come through in the clutch – Man, that is just over, that overshadows everything you do for a long time. Joey Sly's got to do some things to redeem himself, and he has quietly. But what people keep talking about are his misses, not all his makes. By the way, team record, I do believe eight kicks from 50 yards or further. That's the kind of season he's had, but we don't talk about that. We talk about the misses. And, of course, quarterback. What do they do? Nobody knows. It's too, it's too premature to even think about that. But you have to discuss it, especially when you talk about the coaching situation, because the two are kind of tethered together. Whoever they hire to be the head coach, he's going to have to deal with the quarterback situation. Will he be willing to come in and take a 31-year-old quarterback with injury issues in the past? Or will he want to bring in his own guy? Will he want to start fresh? Do they go through the draft They're gonna have a decent draft pick, thanks to having a bad season. That's the that's what you get. It's better five and ten is better or five and eleven better than eight and eight. Eight and eight's purgatory, man. Five and five and eleven, presuming they lose this weekend as Vegas seems to think they will. That beats the heck out of eight and eight in draft purgatory. So many things to discuss as the NFL regular season winds down, ends on Sunday. Frank Garcia, one of the OGs, one of the original Panthers, he's going to join us quarter after one. We're going to discuss that with him. Get his take on if Mike McCarthy would be a good fit. What's the first thing he would do if he were in charge to fix the Carolina Panthers, and I've got a sneaking suspicion he would say improve the offensive line. And what can we realistically expect going forward with the team if it has Cam and if it doesn't have Cam? Frank Garcia joining us quarter after one. And we're also going to talk a lot of college football. Two bowl games today that kick off the ACC's bowl season. Miami at, well, versus Louisiana Tech in the Walk-On's Independence Bowl. I think the worst name in the history of bowl names. Walk-On's Independence Bowl. It just reeks of scrub, Charles. It reeks of scrubs. Walk-On's Independent Bowl. Well, the Miami Hurricanes, a bunch of Walk-Ons. I think I had this same conversation last year when I filled in during this bowl game. Anyway, that's a four o'clock kickoff. ESPN, Kane seven-point favorites, and tonight eight o'clock on the worldwide leader, the Quick Lane Bowl. Seven and five Pitt versus six and six Eastern Michigan. Yeah, that's a that's that's a a sexy matchup. Panthers twelve and a half point favorites. UNC and Wake Forest. Begin bowling on Friday. But of course, everybody's talking about this weekend with regards to college football. College football playoff semifinals on Saturday. Oklahoma, LSU, four o'clock. LSU, 13 and a half point favorites. Clemson, Ohio State, eight o'clock. Both of those are on ESPN. We got Peter Burns of the SEC Network joining us in about 15 minutes. Going to give us the lay of the land from the Peach Bowl. Oklahoma and LSU and then at 2 o'clock our friend Eric Boynton of the Spartanburg Herald Journal. He is out in the desert Clemson and Ohio State wrapping up media day as we speak now Erica let us know what was said what wasn't said and maybe what we could expect to see that we might not be expecting to see When those teams kick off at 8 o'clock on Saturday night on ESPN and later in the program We're going to reflect on a legend, Junior Johnson. We lost him almost a week ago. He left this earth, and, man, he left a heck of a legacy. The last great American hero. I mean, this guy's got many nicknames, and I've spoken to a few people here and there who were lucky enough to engage him. I met him a couple times. Great guy. And I don't think people really understand the impact he had, not even on NASCAR, but on our culture here in the South. Jeff Hammond understands he's an analyst for Fox Sports Racing, and he's a former crew chief for Daryl Waltrip. Raced when, when he was racing with Junior Johnson, Jeff's going to join us at 2.30, and we're going to talk about Junior Johnson and get his get his idea on what we might be able to see as NASCAR prepares for the 2020 season. And we've got your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761, 1-800-849-2761. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. We're just getting started.
1: Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless
0: America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. 1-800-849-2761. Looking forward to our chat with Jeff Hammond of Fox Sports regarding the late, great Junior Johnson. And here's a guy that not only had tremendous success as a driver and as a team owner, he had a movie made about him starring Jeff Bridges, Strong. And he was also referenced in a Springsteen song, Cadillac Ranch. When you have the boss mentioning you in a positive way, you have arrived. You are more than just a sports figure. You're an icon, a cultural icon. And that's kind of what Tom Wolfe said when he wrote the article, The Last American Hero, and then it became a movie, and, well, there you go. You're an icon from the hills of North Carolina, Run and Shine. Ed Harden, the uh, columnist at the Greensboro News and Record, had a fantastic piece shortly after the passing of Junior Johnson talking some tales that he had. And he had a talk about sitting on a tailgate after a race, and he had a bottle of moonshine, or jar of moonshine, rather, and it had the cherries that had marinated and soaked up the moonshine, and Junior's advice was don't have more than one. If you had two, you'd be struggling. What a life, man. Looking forward to that chat with Jeff Hammond. NBA basketball yesterday, Christmas Day. And you know, I spent the day going back and forth. I'd put it on for a minute, a little bit of basketball, but I I probably watched It's a Wonderful Life six times. I live tweeted it by the way. You can see what I tweeted at Scott H4456. I'm of the mind that George Bailey was running a pyramid scheme. Cause he didn't have any money. Yeah, I might put that money in his house and his house. It's none of it's real. It's kind of like Matthew McConaughey's speech in The Wolf of Wall Street because none of it's real, man. You couldn't touch the money. Where'd it go? I also have some other thoughts on that. So check that out. That was fun. And no football, though, on Christmas Day. It was just kind of weird. And I, I get how the holidays are all owned by a different sport. You know, July 4th, baseball. Well, it's fine. Nothing else really going on around then, other than golf and the occasional race. Uh, you have the NFL on Thanksgiving, NBA owns Christmas. But I, I wish there were something. I think they used to have the blue and gray game maybe on Christmas Day. I think the Sun Bowl might have even been on Christmas Day a few times. There was no football. I I didn't quite know how to respond. And we're getting to the part of the year. We're not that far removed, Charles, from no football at all. We're going to go from the Super Bowl to the Combine. Then what do we do? Do you you follow the Combine, the draft and all that? Do you keep up with that? I mean, I watch a little bit, but not really that heavily because, I mean, it's just a bunch of guys working out to me. I mean, (laughs) just to be honest with you. It's like the CrossFit games. I'm not going to get good at working out. I'm not going to watch it. I, I like to see because, I mean, I'm, I am I try to absorb all that stuff. By the way, if you ever want to know all things football, how, how a play is broken down, good perspective, get some inside info, some anecdotes from the past, there's a website called One Panther Place. It's, it's excellent. Uh, incredible insight. I, I highly recommend it, but I digress. I like to watch the Combine. And just to see, okay, here's, here's a guy I saw play cornerback at Texas A&M, and they said he ran a four or six. Oh, you know, what's he really run? You know, after he's been training in shorts, we well, run. You know, it's good to see that. And then you kind of remember that going forward. And it's also interesting to watch how guys' stock can change depending upon how they do at the combine. I remember a guy named Mike Mamula played at uh, Boston College. And he was one of the first guys to train specifically for the Combine. Didn't have that great of an NFL career at all, but he went pretty high because he had enhanced his image, his perception of his game by working out well, by being able to go and master the 40, by getting X number of bench presses of 225, improving his vertical cone drill and all that. But at the end of the day, the workout warrior thing, that's, that's a legit thing. That is a true thing. It, it doesn't always translate to the football field, and that's why the good general managers are able to ascertain, you know, who can do what, rather than what they did in the gym. And speaking of general managers, Marty Herney, general manager of the Carolina Panthers, he's involved apparently in this coaching search. That tells me a couple of things. Tells me he's going to be back next year. Now, will he be back as the general manager? That remains to be seen because David Tepper. Well, one of the things he said he was shaking up was the organizational chart of the front office, that things are going to be a little different. There's going to be a vice president of football operations or something. Maybe Marty moves into that role and they bring in a new GM. We'll find out soon. We'll ask Frank Garcia that next hour. But on the other side, we got Peter Burns, SEC Network. We're going to get his take on the college football playoff. Oklahoma LSU set to kick off Saturday, 4 o'clock. We're going to talk to Peter Burns on the other side. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.
2: Kurt Bush is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500.
1: I went out with Gronk last night after after we won the race. Did you really? It was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to go back to racing. Stay with us on The David Glenn Show.
0: welcome back to the david glenn show media day media day media day they're having them all involving the college football playoff clemson ohio state eric boynton joining us from the desert at two o'clock and they had a media day at the peach bowl today oklahoma lsu for 13 and a half point spread for the tigers against oklahoma I, I like it, but I don't like it because Oklahoma's got that guy named Jalen Hurts at quarterback, and all that guy does is win. And I'm sure our guest will agree with me. It's Peter Burns from the SEC Network. Peter, Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas. I'm. I'm you might be able to hear my uh, kids snoring in the back. That's when you know when you're on a road trip is whatever you got them uh, snoring. So they're... Uh, they're in a good shape, man, right now, and I'm I'm looking forward to this Peach Bowl. It was crazy watching Jalen Hurts today on the on the on the you know his uh, pregame press conference because you can tell he's done with speaking. He doesn't want to talk about football. He doesn't even want to talk about the game any, like, anymore. He doesn't want to answer any questions. He's ready to play some football, and I've seen him win a whole heck of a lot of games just not in that Sooner uniform. Normally, I'm covering him wearing an Alabama uniform.
0: Yeah, has any guy, and I guess it's a redundant question because there's not been a transfer portal, but has, has any guy been able to capture the imagination of two fan bases the way Jalen Hurts has? I, I have to think it's unprecedented, and, and and I have to think the people for Alabama, they can have nothing but goodwill for this guy.
2: Yeah, it was so funny because whenever he was Bama's quarterback, you know, I mean, typical like with anything, he was, you know, loved because he was playing so well, but then when he struggled a little bit, especially, you know, he really, you know, didn't really work well through his progressions he'd only find like you know Calvin Ridley but outside of that you know hey he never got to the second third guy and people would kind of complain and then Tua comes in he looks unbelievable and there are people kind of losing him for a while even Tide fans and then when he stays on the team works really hard last year doesn't transfer and sure sure enough ends up you know winning the SEC championship for him they uh, completely change and um, you know listen I've, I've covered Jalen to know that he's just a great kid he always has a little chip on his shoulder because people were kind of you know talking about him um, but ultimately a hard working and, and really I think that is the reason why you say hey it's 14 points but as long as Jalen Hurst is playing he's got a chance if you go back and look at the deficiencies that LSU has had this year is really kind of stopping a running quarterback you know Sam Ellinger had some of success, and John Rice Plumley absolutely completely, you know, uh, took him to town in the Ole Miss game. So, you know, that's the thing that's the reason coming in started his game.
0: Joined by Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Follow him on Twitter at Peter Burns ESPN. And Peter, when we think of Oklahoma, when we think of the Big Twelve at large for the most part, we think of these offenses. No defense, offense, basketball on turf. And that might have something to do with this 13 and a half point spread. But I, I'm wondering this when you go against an LSU who is also efficient offensively, he can put up a lot of points. Do you get the sense that Oklahoma might want to slow things down a little bit, that Lincoln Riley might call a little bit of a different game, and, and it could be to his own detriment?
2: Yeah, I mean, you you, you nailed it. I don't know about to his own detriment, but you, you nailed it in the fact that, you know, Lincoln has to make a big decision, right? It's, hey, do I know what got me here, which is high-paced offense, high octane, go, go, go. Or do I say, let's go take a look at who gave LSU issues this year? The teams that gave LSU issues were really Auburn and Florida. And one of the reasons why, and even Texas to a certain extent, the reason why is because they had elongated drives. They had these six, seven-minute drives. I mean, listen, everyone has tried it so far. No one's been able to stop Joe Burrow, right? I mean, no one. That's why he won the Heisman in in record-setting form. And so the only people that have stopped Joe Burrow is to say, all right, well, let's just take the ball in our own hands and go on a six-minute drive and make sure he doesn't get an opportunity to play. So I think that's why you're going to really see a, a, a lot of Jalen Hurts and how much he's going to run the ball uh, in design runs in this game. You know, if I'm, if I'm looking at a box score after the game and Jalen Hurts didn't have at least probably 12 to 15 rushes, I think Lincoln Riley is going to go back there and kick themselves if they didn't give Hurts enough of an opportunity to break the Tigers with their leg.
0: You know, and and the thing a lot of people don't realize, at least people who haven't watched Jalen Hurts over the years, is he's not that shifty runner. He's not the guy who's going to be back there like a Lamar Jackson spin, jump over you and all that. Jalen Hurts is going to try to run over you.
2: Right. It's more kind of a tebow type running style um you know and, and that's something that jalen's been trying to work on because that's really what he was at first when he got to alabama then he kept trying to progress as a passer but really never kind of took that next step now he's had a lot more success passing in oklahoma's team and their offense and of course going against big 12 defenses but that's really where the powerful running style and you go back and look and you know, a lot of people, Dave Aranda studied a lot of film on Jalen Hurts because he knows. I mean, Hurts beat him a couple of years ago in Tiger Stadium. And the reason why was because of that type running style that, um, hey, listen, nothing's open. I'm going to force it. And especially in the red zone, he was such a he was such an unbelievable weapon, much like Tebow was a weapon. So, you know, the difference for LSU is oh, you don't have Clyde Edwards to layer their running back. Um, and that that's a big change because really as, as important as Joe Burrow was as a quarterback, Edward Alaire was honestly maybe as as important as burrow as crazy as that sound he was just the Swiss Army knife that did it all, especially catching balls out of the backfield so you can find that with the three players and, and Dylan Turner the, ten, the safety for Alabama, uh, Oklahoma being injured. there's a whole lot of question marks going into this game which, I don't know if it ends up being a two-point or two-touchdown
1: uh,
0: type game. And, and, Peter, before we let you go, this is an interesting question. I'd love to get your take on this. Joe Burrow has seemingly come out of nowhere. He's won the Heisman Trophies. He's Mr. Louisiana right now. But 10 years from now, 15 years from now, who will have a bigger place in SEC lore? Will it be the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Joe Burrow or would it be a Jalen Hurts who, who almost became an everyman type guy by willing doing whatever it took for the team?
2: Damn, but what, what a great question. That's, I've, I've done 45 of these interviews and I haven't been asked that question once, so I love it. Um, I Ultimately, it, it comes down to what happens to this game. It is, it, all joking aside, because if Jalen wins a national championship, not at an SEC school, but somewhere else, he'll always be talked about. Um, I still think LSU wins that game. They'll end up putting a, you know, a, a trophy or a, a statue outside of Tiger Stadium for, for Joe Burrow. So I, I think that it will end up being Joe Burrow probably be end up being the number one pick and a guy that um, at least got LSU to another national championship game. Now, whether or not they can beat Oklahoma or, or Ohio State or Clemson, I think it's a, a dang different story because that's the game I think is going to be even more intriguing than LSU Oklahoma coming up on Saturday.
0: Absolutely. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter Burns ESPN, and I highly suggest you check him out on SiriusXM. Peter, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, look forward to chatting soon. And a Happy New Year to you as well. righty, man, be careful. It's Peter Burns of the SEC Network. And it, hey, look, Charles, you like my question. And it's a legitimate question. The SEC, college football in general, is all about legacies and and impact you have on the sport and Paul Bunyan myths and so on and so forth. It's it's a bigger-than-life sport the further you get removed from your heyday. Ten years from now, 15 years from now, who who's going to have the bigger legacy the more significant legacy will it be joe Burrow? will it be jalen hurts look man when you go back and you actually look at the numbers and all that was archie manning really that good i mean he was pretty good for the time but yeah you know you kind of shake your head and all that but they wrote a song about him down there in old miss they wrote it the speed limit is 18 miles an hour but he's a he's a legend that Joe Burrow will be the same kind of guy. Jalen Hurts will be the same kind of guy. But to Peter's point, a lot of it will be determined who wins this game. And if Jalen Hurts wins this game and then goes on and wins the national championship, hmm, I think those people in Alabama, they're not going to turn on King Nick. It doesn't work like that. King Nick Saban rules all things in Alabama. But they're going to scratch their heads and go, man, wish we'd had Jalen, even though they all wanted Tua. And I forgot to ask Peter if Tua was going to go pro. I have to shoot him a text. I'll get that intel later in the show. But good interview. Again, college football playoff semifinals on Saturday. Number four, Oklahoma. Number one, LSU. Four o'clock kickoff ESPN. Hey, we got Eric Boynton, Spartanburg Herald-Journal coming up at two o'clock. He's out in the desert. We're going to get his take on number three, Clemson, versus number two, Ohio State in the fiesta bowl we'll see what eric thinks of that and we're going to see what you think 1-800-849-2761 if you've got a break from returning packages give us a call at the david glenn show
2: rob schneider joining us on the david glenn show when they try to have three days of the nfl draft on tv my friend said hey you gonna watch the nfl draft that's like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months there's gonna be
1: some breasts in there
0: you're listening to the david glenn show breaking out a little 90s music on. Closing out hour one of the David Glenn Show, day after Christmas, saddest day of the year. Scott Hamilton filling in for DG, who's off. I guess still spreading Christmas cheer as only DG can. Going around. He's probably still handing out turkeys and poinsettias and Starbucks gift cards or whatnot. He's doing DG stuff, but he'll be back next year. So you've got me until, I guess... Well, who knows? I'm here today, tomorrow, and Monday, and then I think there's a best of on Tuesday. So we'll be doing the best and worst of the year, best and worst of the decade. Walk-on's Independence Bowl, not too far out, Miami, Louisiana Tech. The first bowl game involving an ACC team, Miami 6-6, six and six, Louisiana Tech 9-3. and three. Four o'clock kickoff on ESPN. The Canes are seven-point favorites. And I'm going to wrap up our... our talk with Peter Burns VSPN SEC Network and Sirius XM his business card is an index card he's got so many other gigs we're talking about the legacies of Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts is a unique character first of all he's captivated two fan bases Alabama and Oklahoma two legendary fan bases those are blue blood programs obviously and I know, I know that it's a unique situation. It's never really been done because the transfer portal is, is still brand spanking new. But I'm trying to think if there's ever been an athlete do that before, maybe under traditional circumstances or maybe even non-traditional circumstances. Maybe another athlete, for whatever reason, endeared himself to another fan base as an opponent that they still revere him now or her. I'm at a loss to come up with one. If you can think of one, let me know. 1-800-849-2761. Because what Jalen Hurts has done is, is truly unprecedented. The way he has done it, at least. Going to Alabama, playing his three seasons at Alabama, then transferring to Oklahoma and assuming that mantle. I mean, Oklahoma's quarterback you. It really is. And I was saying it a couple of years ago, even before Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray went on back-to-back Heisman Trophy runs. Oklahoma's quarterback U. Now, a few decades ago, complete opposite. It was the wishbone, the triple option, Barry Switzer, Jamel Holloway, Charles Thompson, all that. But it's evolved under big game Bob Stoops before Lincoln Riley took over into quarterback U. Josh Heupel. Jason White won a Heisman Trophy there. There's been more, on and on. Great receivers as well. And it kind of mirrored the evolution of the Big 12, the former Big 8. Used to be a pretty balanced league. Now it's wide open offenses. And it it was better this year than perhaps last year. But it's still, the team that has the ball last is usually the team that's going to win in the Big 12. Now, will that be the case this weekend against LSU? Again, goes back to my discussion with Peter Burns, do we think that Lincoln Riley is going to call a different game? Will he slow his own offense down in order to keep LSU off the field? LSU also available or rather capable of scoring points in mass? We'll find out four o'clock kickoff ESPN, 13 and half point favorites are the Tigers. Let's head over to the phones, check in with Mike and Clayton. Mike, happy holidays. Hey there, buddy. How you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. This is not one that's going to probably rival the Jay at the Hertz situation, but about 18 or 20 years ago, there was a guy named Scooty Penn who was was with one of the Buckeyes, uh, and then he went to Ohio State and became a hero in both places. Can't remember where the East Coast went, whether it was Penn or
0: was it Boston College? Yeah,
1: uh, it may have been Boston I think it was Boston College, yeah. But he was a hero there for two years and a hero at Ohio
0: State for two years. I was actually at my first job. It was at the Columbus Dispatch in Columbus, Ohio, when Scooney Pin was there with Michael Rett. And those were pretty good basketball teams. I want to say they made a little bit of a tournament run that year. Ninety-nine?
1: Yeah, I lived in Columbus for 42 years, so yeah, absolutely. They, they, you, were, they were good te- uh, teammates, for sure, they had a good, good team.
0: And I uh, I presume that you will be uh, situated in front of a television Saturday night, Ohio State and Clemson.
1: Uh, no question about it. Unfortunately, some of my uh, relatives are that are not Ohio State fans are pulling for Clemson, but we'll see if, if Ohio State can rectify what happened last year.
0: Well, that makes it, that's part of what makes it fun, Mike. We appreciate your call today, brother. Appreciate it. Have a good New Year's. It's Mike and Clayton. It was two years ago, I believe. Actually, it was three years ago, I do believe, when Clemson curb stomped the Buckeyes in the college football playoff. It was a New Year's Eve game, and Ohio State's done some things to rectify that. I read an article a couple of days ago about some of the changes the Buckeyes have made since that beatdown by the Clemson Tigers they've become a little more a little sturdier all around. They've reevaluated the way they were playing football at that time. But I agree again with Peter Burns of the SEC network. Number 3 versus number 2. That's a captivating matchup. Nobody that nobody wanted to get that game. Because it's been pretty much preordained that Clemson was going to be number 3. Even if it went undefeated won the ACC championship, it was going to situate itself at number three because of strength of schedule and a perceived lack of quality victories, and of course the stigma that comes still from that one-point victory. It was a win against UNC Chapel Hill, and and that's why there was the debate over who's going to be one, who's going to be two. Number one going to get Oklahoma, and therefore that 13 and a half-point spread against LSU, or number two is going to get Clemson. And Ohio State lobbied hard, wanted that number one seed, wanted to be the number one ranked team. And I give Coach O and his crew credit. They didn't work it that hard. They pretty much said I think and I think it was their mantra, anybody, anytime, anywhere. And they fell into the number one slot. So they're gonna they're gonna have the Oklahoma Sooners thirteen and a half point spread. That Ohio State Clemson game, though, two versus three. I mean, that's that's what the playoffs about. That's what it's all about. You want that game. I want to see what Ohio State has. They haven't seen a team like Clemson all year. And Clemson hasn't seen a team like Ohio State all season. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to be interested to find out how that works out. Let's get one more call before the break. Let's check in with Jeff in Clayton. Jeff, happy holidays.
1: Yes, uh, my uh, quarterback would be uh, Russell Wilson uh, with the Wolfpack and then with the Badgers of Wisconsin.
0: You know, that's a good one. And I'm wondering, though, I don't know a lot about Russ's time with Wisconsin. Did he have a signature win? Did they pull off a victory over the Buckeyes, maybe Michigan?
1: Uh, I know he played um, well there. They never won the uh, Big Ten championship. I'm a Michigan State fan. I know Michigan State had to beat them on a last-second um, Hail Mary to uh, go to the Big Ten championship one year. Is, is one year there, so. But uh, he did get him um, in contention.
0: Yeah, took him to the Big Ten Championship game. Interesting. Okay, yeah, he was one of those quarterbacks there uh, in that great run of quarterbacks at NC State with with Glennon and all those guys. So you put Russell Wilson into that mix. Let me know your thoughts. Do you have an athlete that captivated two fan bases? one 800 It's the David Glenn Show.
1: out of the University of North Carolina. we got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win, and that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it
2: dialed in to the David Glenn Show.